Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Charles Harbison, founder and designer of Harbison Studio. After launching his brand in New York City in 2013 and then dressing Beyonce, Michelle Obama, and models in vogue, Charles put the brand on pause in 2016. He re-emerged in 2021 with a collaboration with Banana Republic and Harlem's Fashion Row before relaunching Harbison Studio just last year. I wanted to ask Charles, who now lives in LA, about the fresh approach he's bringing to the brand. I also wanted to dig into his expansion plans as I've recently seen more accessories and more retail partners. Welcome, Charles. Hi, Jill. Thank you for having me. Reunited after Fashion Week. Let's talk about Fashion Week really quick. Oh, oh my gosh. Lord. I talk about you because um, I would just say, you know, some designers have like appointments, come see the collection. It's very intimate, which I loved doing that with you. But <laughs> your PR invited me and I was like, excuse me? Like, it's usually like this tight, limited time span. You were there from, were you there from the 7th through the 15th? Nine oh, days. yeah, 100%. And when I went, it was like jumping and you had so much energy. And I was like, are you, are you like this for nine, nine days? And there were celebrities there. Uba, Roni star, Uba. Oh my God. Yeah, it was a fun time. I mean, at the end of the day, I just love being with my girls in the studio and uh, seeing their response to things and being able to just like have those intimate and direct and thoughtful conversations. And so you know, why not bring that same experience to Fashion Week? I mean, we're giving it a go, and I, I'm glad you liked it. It was so fun. You told me a lot, and I want to pick up on the conversation here for sure. But tell me about your approach to Fashion Week. Was there consideration like you might do uh, a more formal presentation or a runway show? I know you also did a dinner during the week. Why, why did you decide to take the dinner-slash-appointment approach? Of course. Well, I mean, Fashion Week is a well established, well-oiled machine, right? And I'm finding that in order for me to have the experience that I want to have with this craft that I love and to build the business that I want to build, I need to do it in a way that's more authentic to who I am and to what I'm all about. And so when it comes to Fashion Week, you know, there's always that pull to do a show, to do a presentation, to to go big, right? Because I, I make big clothes with big look, and it all, you know, in theory, is really set up well for those sorts of activations. But I just love being in there, talking about the pieces, allowing editors and buyers and clients and friends to see all the details and to really take in the story. It just feels more authentic and it feels more like me. And it's building a brand with more authenticity this time around because I've tried it before in the way that everyone said I should do it. And it just was not for me. Let's talk about that first iteration. Back in the day, I feel like we used to talk about it more. And I don't know that this was the scenario that there was like, quote unquote, designer like burnout. Um, mm -hmm. Because we used to talk about the demand of doing so many collections a year and kind of that creative energy that's actually required. But how the hell do you do that? Um, tell me the experience you had. I mean, how the hell do you do that when you're a kid with no money, right? And that's really what I found, like the, the position that I found myself in back then. Um, and I was led by such like naive, bright eyed, wide eyed love for clothes. And it all happened quite accidentally. 
um, you know, I was out of a job and I needed to refresh my portfolio. So I was like, okay, I know how to make clothes in the city now. I've been working in the city for, at that point, I think seven or eight years at different houses. And I was like, okay, I'll make some samples. I'll even photograph them, put them in my book so that there's not a break in my portfolio so that after this fashion week, I'll be able to still get a job, right? I do that. And then I show the images to a couple of advisors, one being Patrick Robinson, who was a mentor of mine back then, who I love. Um, Another being Catherine Neal Schaefer, who was a stylist that I'd worked with at two previous companies. Um, She's Sam Schaefer's wife, had an, um, an office at Vogue at the time. And I was just like, let me get their feedback. And they were like, um, well, Charles, can we show this to some people? And of course, like, I was like, yeah, cool. That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> um, and not think, not really knowing to whom they were going to show it and what it would bring about. And Patrick showed it to his wife, Virginia Smith. And Catherine showed it to Mark Holgate and Chiominati at Vogue. And so then they asked me to come up with the collection And the collection, in quotes, was like maybe like nine or ten pieces of clothes. I brought it up and they were so encouraging and affirming. And they were like, do you want this to be a thing? And I was like, I, 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 I. You can't (laughs) say no to both. (laughs) You can't say no. And I'm standing there and I'm like, yeah, okay. And so they were really wonderful. I showed them some additional pieces. Um, I was in uh, September issue that year. Um, got my first stockist, which was yeah. Ecrom in Chicago, and it oh kind of started from there. So first there were clothes and a designer, but what there wasn't was money and a business. And um, I quickly found out that in some ways, like the cart was before the horse. And I, I hate to say that because in my, in a perfect world for me, talent craft and a love of fashion is the horse right but in our world now with fashion money's always the horse and um that is what i quickly learned over those you know two years of making clothes that i love but not really building a business and the major currency and major resource that i had was me and baby i burned that out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I hear that that's a necessity. I mean, how looking back, do you wish you would have just said, pause, let me get the, I don't know, the, the team around me that I need before we make a go of it? Or more so, maybe it was just the, the partnerships that you established, like working with retailers and Mm-mm. they need to fund you up front or you need, should maybe do pre-order or some other scenario. Like what would you have done differently? Honestly, Jill, nothing at all, you know, because, you know, the harsh reality is like, okay, you know, you know, one would say I I could have said pause and went and found the partners, but uh, finding partners based on what? Partners come based on work that you're creating, you know, unless, you know, you have money in the bank yourself or you come from wealth, you know, enticing financial partners and investors comes on the heels of making work. And so, um, and also I, I never want, I never wanted and still don't want my creative and artistic love of fashion to be eclipsed by business. 
And I think if I had made a different decision back then, I wouldn't be in this position today. I probably would just be working at another house and that's completely fine. Um, But I'm really grateful that I was able to make some things, put them in the world, see women's reactions, and then say to myself, okay, let me save my life for a bit. Let me move to LA, regroup, center my wellness. But the thing that never left me was the fact that women really do love what I do. And there are so many people in the world who relate to it. And one day I'll come back and resume my conversation with them through clothes. I love this. When I was at your fashion week appointment, I don't know what you call this silhouette, but it's like everything that has like the little cutout, almost like a built-in wireless bra. And then it was like... Oh my God, it's that tweed, whatever, black and white with a little matching jacket. Mm-hmm. I literally like jumped up and down. And anyway, <laughs> I think that's when we like clicked and he was like, I, you're like, I don't know. I love that you love fashion. I can, you said something like, I see it when somebody loves it mm-hmm, and when you have mm-hmm, the passion. Like, mm-hmm. is that what like you're saying? Like you can kind of um, build a brand based on your passion and the people around you who are mm-hmm. equally as passionate about what you're doing and that's and do your own thing like talk you to can. me in your words it's yeah. a harder go at it jill when you do that but it is more organic and it's more real and that is antithetical to so many things he says and we really need to to like pivot our attention more in that direction of like a real authentic connection to clothing for a myriad of reasons um but yeah, I did see your response to that look. And it's kind of like, you know, when when a person sees like, oh, wait, that is a reflection of me. And when I have that on me, I'm able to emanate even more of myself, right? Like that is the point of clothing is to, to empower, to guard, to represent and all of those sorts of things. And so I saw that happening with you and it made me like... I loved it. And it's what I live for. It's 100% what I live for. And I think that's what clients also shop for. You know, people shop for a myriad of reasons when it comes to, to, you know, to pieces, whether it be like trend or fitting in or all that kind of stuff. But for me, my hope is that like my client is shopping because she's like that right there, Charlie, that's me. That is me on the rack and I want it on my body. Let's go. And I'm like, let's do it. (laughs) Yes. We need more feelings about fashion. Like we can't be so anyway. Oh, keep the passion alive, Charles. (laughs) Yeah, you too, Jill. We got to do it together. (laughs) Right on. Well, tell me about this. Um, Back in 2021, was this... Uh, Banana Republic collaboration, was that always meant to be kind of a stepping stone and then you're going to come back and have your brand? Or do you just get, I don't know, you got excited again. (laughs) How would you describe it? I mean, Jill, 2021, I'm in LA riding my bike everywhere. Like that's what life was like for me in 2021. No one wanted any clothes for me. Um, I wasn't working anywhere. I was riding my bike and hiking and you know, doing some custom things here and there. Um, but I was really, you know, aside from the really traumatic effects of COVID on our world, I had figured out to really live a really good life in LA um, because you can, you know, in those circumstances. Um, and I was just outside all the time at the beach or hiking or, you know, all those sorts of things. 
And then when I saw this opportunity with Banana come through, I was like, eh, like, I don't know. I mean, it could be cool. I worked at Banana when I was in high school and college um, <laughs> as a sales associate. I get the aesthetic. I know it well. You know, my experience started, you know, in the very beginning doing um, women's wear at Michael Kors and then Billy Reed. So I know my way around Americana and American sportswear. And I was like, no. Then there was another email that came up and then Brandis Daniel um, reached oh, out Brandis. and she's like, yes. And Brandis Harlem's is like, fashion Charles, fame. you got to yes. know Brandis. Sorry, go 100%. ahead. 100%. Brandis is wonderful. Um, and Brandis reached out and she's like, I think you should really take a look at this. And I was like, okay. So I pulled together some like sketches and some references from years ago um, and sent them in. And uh, the response was amazing. They love what I did. And in the beginning, it was supposed to be quite small. They were like, okay, we're just going to do like three to five pieces. But the the synergy and the vibe was so good between myself and the team at Banana and Harbison as a brand and Banana as a brand that it grew to this, you know, 24 piece collection online and in store, size inclusive, sustainability minded. So it touched on all the things that I care about. Um, my mother was a part of the ad campaign. Um, so, cool. so there was age equity and size equity and gender equity um, because the pieces were fit across many different kinds of bodies and, and um, different gender profiles, even in our imagery. It was wonderful. And uh, through that process, I was like, well, they liked it. So maybe, maybe there's some more people out there who like it. And maybe now is a good time because things are a bit slower and so I can take my time in a way that I couldn't years ago and I can do it from LA and do it on my own terms. And I was a bit of a boy back then and now I fancy myself an adult man and um, maybe I'm just better at it. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. So it wasn't a thoughtful decision of mine in the beginning, but it was through the process um, and the process being so affirming that I decided, okay, let's try this again. And it's been almost two years and I am so glad I did. Good for you. Was that at that time you were like, tell me about what you decided in terms of your approach to sustainability, size inclusivity. Was that part of the brand, uh, the first iteration? And, and how are you able to achieve that, would you say? 100%. These things have always been um, ground zero for Harbison, um, for me as a designer. Um, even like entering the world as, as a designer, I was already prioritizing these things. My like senior thesis in undergrad, um, I made dresses out of upholstery fabric out of my mom's garage. And, awesome. you know, this, this idea of like, repurposing and, and, and dead stock and using materials that already exist to make something more beautiful. All of that is just really inherent to who I am as not only an artist, but even culturally, like I come from, you know, poor blue collar working class people. And so reuse and um, sustainability is just a, it's a core principle of, of our world. And so when I started Harvesting the first time around, I was always looking for what was in existence. And logistically, that's best for a small brand, right? To, you know, to not have to opt into large minimums and holding lots of fabric or holding lots of inventory and doing custom. Like, 
all of these tenets of building a business are actually the most sustainable ones. It's whenever fashion enters the world of like corporate scaling that um, thoughtfulness around the environment is next to impossible. Um, so with the kind of re-emergence of Harbison, I'm basically taking the things that I cared about first time around beyond dead stock, recycled and organics. Um, I have a partnership with a circularity company um, where we're doing called CERC, where we're doing a, um, a capsule of pieces for next year. I'm just talking about all these things this time around, even though they were always present before. Um, and when it comes to size equity, come on, I, I, I come from, you know, women who were, you know, sporty and strong and utilitarian and curvy. I wrote about them starting with my mother in The Atlantic in an article called Always the Gold Sandal, where I talked about those women. So size equity for me is inherent. It's inherent to my body. My body's always changed in a myriad of ways. Um, gender equity, I've always, I fell in love with women's clothes. And at times I would place them on my own body. You know, I'm a queer person. My network is made up of people across gender um, and sexuality identity. So that's just inherent to, to who I am and what I do. So I, I say I kind of go down the list because I think it's important for people to know that this isn't like a flag that I fly or that I wave. This is just my life. And I'm trying to authentically represent myself through everything that I create. And I love that you're doing even size inclusivity in an authentic way where you're th being so thoughtful. When I was looking at your your latest collection and you were like, it has sleeves because most not everybody likes to show their arms. And that just reminded me of my own mother between us, like <laughs> between us and the podcast. But like she hates <laughs> showing her arms so much. And I was like, Sue would love that. Um, yeah, come on, yeah. Sue. <laughs> we care about Sue over here. And when you're when you're doing your own thing, tell me about the um, the decision. I I read, and I don't know if this is accurate or if this is still in effect. That when you relaunched um, Saks, you had Saks as a retail partner. Now, is that necessary for I guess awareness? Um, but also, did they work with you in terms of like production um, schedules and all the things? Yeah, no. It's um, the great thing about wholesale is that. It is kind of a, it's a great magnifier, right? Like in, it takes the voice of a brand and it puts it in front of like their whole arsenal of customers. And um, having Saks early on was so wonderful. The team there was great with me in the beginning um, of, you know, offering up a deposit on production and all those things that are important for young brands, um, emerging brands, small businesses, and I'm really grateful to them for that. Um, wholesale has really shown me also the importance of a custom and client business, right? Like for me, I can't put all my eggs in someone else's proverbial basket or proverbial store, right? It's important that I also am building out this cult following of clients who come back to me over and over again for things that they love, work with me to make things that are particular to them for their special days, for their, you know, for different occasions, for their day-to-day, -day, for work, whatever it is, or just as a collector. And that is 
important because that is a direct relationship, right? Like I'm able to pivot and learn and, you know, those clients become my learning lab, right? And then I'm able to take those learnings back to a store, but you really don't get those learnings um, as much through a store. It's through, you know, there's a filter of, you know, merchandising and then, you know, store associates and all those sorts of things. And eventually you get some messages, but I found that it's most important to learn them on my own and then take those learnings back to the stores. So when I think of your clothes, we talked about this last time as well. Um, You talked about kind of the balance of the dreamy meets the kind of wearability. Um, But, you know, would you describe your clothes? I think of them as being very glamorous. In, in the best way. Um, are they for special occasions? I know that there were clothes that um, I was like, this would be perfect for a wedding. And you're mm-hmm. like, more brides are shopping it actually. But anyway, yeah. tell me about where you sit in the market as you would describe it. I definitely do sit um, in a special occasion space currently. Um, and I think it's just because I love big look and I'm the kind of person that I'm in a big look during the day. You know, I think yeah. big looks are great for work. I think big looks are great for brunch. I think big looks are great for dinner parties, right? I think the dress that you wore to your friend's wedding, you can also wear to brunch. I think, you know, the the gown that you got married in is also, you know, particularly wonderful for like, you know, a gala. Um, I think that the the shift dress that you bought for a work presentation can also work for like date night. I I just like, for me, there's mutability and flexibility in there. Um, but I think in many people's minds, they shop Harbison um, in the space of special occasion. And I'm completely fine with that. You know, if you think about me at, during your happiest moments, during the times where you feel the most optimistic or the times where you're scared and you really need something to lift your spirits. If you're like, I need Harbison for those moments and Charles gets me through those moments feeling better, I am 100% good with that. I love it. I mean, who doesn't love a big look? <laughs> Come on, big look. You know, like, especially like if, if someone like says quiet luxury to me again, oh my God. I'm like, okay, I'll give you like whisper luxury. Right. You know, maybe like uh you know, that's the that's the best. We're not being quiet over here. Like why? No, Come other on. side of the spectrum. Um, what is working to get the retailers to get the word out? Would you call like some of these folks who I see time and time again on your Instagram, the Ubas of the world? Like are they <laughs> muses? Are they ambassadors? Like what's working um in terms of awareness and um do you work with influencers? I mean, I'm finding that when these women, and it's not only exclusively women, it's, it's people across the spectrum. I have men and um, individuals of various identities in the clothes. I think they come because they love it. And when they love it, they create content around it. And it just happens quite like it's an authentic thing that happens. And I love that. Um, I don't really have a name for them. They are muses. They are ambassadors. Um, you know, I'm I'm still not like someone told me I should call them angels because you know, oh, I like that. Charlie's <laughs> angels. Um, and so that idea is actually I'm kind of into that because they it, they also do feel like angels. You know, like I'm I'm really grateful. Um, you know, I'm in that studio creating things. We're a small team. 
um, namely with my product director, Michelle. We're in there just making things that we love. And then, yeah, these angels sweep through and put them in their lives and really go out and like tell the world who we are. Um, I'm most grateful for that. And they're, they're the biggest voice, you know, these carpets and, and these, you know, big carpets as in red carpets. Um, these major moments with celebrities have also been just so um, earth shifting, right? They have really brought eyes to Harbison in a way that um, stores can't and, and wholesale partners can't. Um, and so I'm really, really, really grateful for that. And that's why I'm always centering my focus there. And any wholesale partners that we have really understand that that is where the core of my attention is. Um, and they are wonderful in helping me um, expand that as well. Who are your wholesale partners now? So currently Moda and Moda Operandi. I love the team yes. of Moda. Um, nice. Matches Fashion, they're wonderful as well. Um, and there's a boutique in Dubai called That Concept Store. That's wonderful. You can also shop them oh, cool. online. And yeah, I think that's where we are right now. I have, oh, I have a, a new partner coming on board, um, which I'm waiting until we deliver um, before I, um, before I talk Count about it, but it's, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a really wonderful partner and one that I've wanted for a while. Um, because I think that they're like the preeminent name in, um, as far as department stores are concerned with beautiful, luxurious, collectible product in New York city. And so I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't want to guess who it is, but I hope I know because I think I know. <laughs> yeah, it starts with a B and it ends with an ORF. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> was that secured um, during like Fashion Week market appointments? Because I remember when I was visiting, you were kind of in a in a happy place that hopeful that some of these things would come through. Yes, 100%. Another reason why I love the showroom experience, you know, right now all these things are in-house for me. Um, so I'm presenting my collection to buyers and, you know, I'm talking about my collection with editors and um, influencers are pulling namely, you know, from me when they come into the space. And so I just want to like hang out and allow eight to 10 hours every day during Fashion Week where they can come in. Um, but yes, with those buying teams, we were able to have these robust appointments. We'll get clothes on models. Um, and yeah, it's just it's what I love. Are they buying into the, you're, you've expanded, like you, you do this amazing Gemini bag. It's like, it's already iconic in my eyes, but um, <laughs> tell me about the accessory expansion. What's going on there? And is that only direct to consumer? Is that also in store? So currently it's only direct to consumer, um, the accessories. Um, it all started because I also not only love big look, but I also love full look. Um, and so, you know, we created, um, these 24 karat gold um, plated jewelry, and we're able to make them out of LA. Um, so it's really thoughtful. Um, we know the gentleman um, who hammers them and molds them himself. And so it's just a really thoughtful uh, experience um, between us and him of creating these things. And then our Gemini bag is made out of recycled leather. Um, so it's also wonderful to bring what I think is a really beautiful um, adorable, collectible, um, soft, cushy bag to market with hardware 
um, but also made in a recycled material. So yeah, I'm trying to infuse all of this thoughtfulness um, in the whole ecosystem of Harbison. But yeah, bringing the accessories to market D2C, it's great because like, you know, I can pop a brooch on, you know, our clip-on earring, I can wear it like as a little bolo sometimes. My ears are pierced and so I can wear the earrings myself. Um, you know, it's just a fun sort of like way to communicate Harbison in a, in a really, in a, in a handheld way, which I think is also incredibly important. And shoes are to come, Jill. We're working on, um, we have these shoe prototypes that I configure for our lookbooks. And we're finally going to be able to bring that shoe to market. Um, and I'm really excited about our little Deny Bow Hill. I love this. You mentioned this before. And this is amazing, like juxtaposition. I can't say this word. <laughs> um, of the ultra luxury. It's not like a toned down shoe. It's just like unexpected. Yeah. like Or it's flat. Yeah. It's boat. yeah it's just, she's, she's flat. Um, we have a flat and we have one with like a two and a half inch heel. Um, a giant bow in the front. She's also not quiet. Um, <laughs> so don't come here for that. Um, but yeah, it's just a way to kind of round out the experience um, and just keep the whimsy, keep the fun, keep the joy. Um, yeah, come on. And also like a shoe sometimes is easier, right? Because it's like, okay, Charles, like, am I going to wear this color block dress every day? Okay, no, maybe not. I get it. Um, but you know, the shoe works well with the jean or it works well with the trouser. It works well with that color block dress. And, um, it's just a way to help invite more and more people to this world, you know? Yes. Well, we're not quiet luxury. Do you like the word luxury to describe the brand? I think it is. I, I, yes, I, I don't, I love words. So I love the word luxury. Um, the connotation is hard for me these days. Um, I think that it's something that gets, um, that term gets applied to things that are actually not very luxurious and are quite irresponsible. So I don't like that. But, um, if you're referring to the quality and, um, thoughtful nature of Harbison, yeah, we can go with luxury. Come on. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Tell me about your team. You mentioned somebody that you were working with. On, um, is it a growing team, a large team? Who's necessary to pull this off? We are a tiny engine. So it's just myself and Michelle. Michelle um, Chen, she's my product director. I love Michelle. She's one of my closest friends as well. And um, we've known each other for years. We met working together at Cult Gaia. Um, that was the brand that I first started designing for when I moved to L.A. in 2016 and um, was doing like a full range of product for them from um, apparel and jewelry and bags and shoes, the first shoes and the whole nine. And I didn't know what a product developer was, Jill, because in New York, we don't have product developers. In New York, the design team develops the product. But here in L.A., there's a separate team devoted to development. And I was like, wait, this girl really gets me. And so um, I just decided I'm like, she's going to be my friend. And um, now she is my number two. Um, and it's been a really wonderful run. I'm really grateful for her. So it's the two of us. Um, and then everything else is just consultants and partners that come in on a freelance basis um, so we're a tiny, we are a small business and I do not have any qualms with saying that because, um, at this point I touch everything 
and I want to touch everything. Um, I want to make sure that I'm building something and steering this engine in the right direction. Um, and all the mistakes that I make, I make them. So I learn from them and then I'm able to like take those learnings and apply them to other, um, to the other people who come in over time. Um, but yeah, we're working to expand and to grow and to build a more robust team and thus more robust product. Yes. Because of the way that you're growing, it seems like it's like slow and steady and thoughtful, like this is the plan. This is ideal. Like what's next is not, I would guess, fundraising, but maybe if a right partner came along and they let you have creative reign, like how would you describe that? Thoughts on fundraising investment? Well, yes, we are 100% in that space. Um, we have our friends and family safe note round happening right now, which I'm really excited about. So um, this is a great opportunity to get in um, at the foundation of Harbison and all that we're building. So if anyone on this call is interested, feel free to hit me up. Um, looking for just those thoughtful um, individuals who understand what we are doing and, and also love what we're doing. I think that's imperative. Um, a genuine love for creativity and for building something in this space. Um, I am constructing something that in my mind is very different from everything that I see around me. And so um, I do feel like I'm swimming against the tide in many ways. And I'm okay with that because it's a it's something a position that I'm well acquainted with. So whether it be like who I am as a person or as an artist, um, as an intellectual, and now as a business owner, um, I just want it to be responsible and to have some level of accountability in the world. Um, so yeah, we're in our investment round right now. Exciting. And also looking at um, building the team, building our in-house operations and expanding our product assortment um, so that we're able to include more accessories, more day and more men's. So, um, hey, hey. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> with, with home in our sites over the next five years. Oh, great. Would you say like collaborations more to come as you kind of inch into new areas to maybe test the waters? Yeah, 100%. I love collaborations. They're fun and I'm able to go in and take like a particular brand's identity and like shift it in the direction of the optimistic, colorful world of Harbison um, and infusing all of the points of responsibility that I care about, um, all the points of equity um, and, you know, ecological thoughtfulness, et cetera. But I'm able to also extract like so much IP from them, so much know-how. Um, I also come to this industry as someone who worked at many different companies. So there's so much value um, to working, to learning lessons on someone else's dime, to really training yourself. And when I'm able to do collaborations, that maintains my training, even in this position that I have as a leader today. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful to all my collaborative partners and looking for new ones in, in every space. Yeah. What would you say is your greatest challenge right now? Is it just about resources? The greatest challenge is, hmm, yes, resources is a huge challenge, but 
I think there's also a big challenge in utilizing those resources in new ways um, because there is there is a really established system in this industry and in most system in most industries rather there are established systems and frankly speaking um, almost every system around us is bringing about a negative outcome for all of us and so I think it's really important that all of us that are entering um, industries and um, worlds and institutions that we care about, that we're doing the work to really press so that we're looking at these systems with a fresh eye. We're critiquing them, you know, with, with love and with kindness, but effectively critiquing them and figuring out how to make things better. Um, it has to be like a concrete decision that is made and concrete actions have to be taken. So I think that's, you know, probably the biggest challenge. You could still, you could give me, and I will give it, you know, a million dollars by the end of the year um, for Harbison. But then it's the the added um, challenge and need for support around infusing those resources to pivot systems in a direction that benefits the bottom line of the business and also benefits the world because both can happen, I believe. Yes. That uh, kind of answers my last question because you have such a wealth of experience here having gone through it twice. Um, (laughs) And I would just say somebody coming out of Parsons and maybe they they don't have the advantage of privilege or whatever that it takes to make a go of it out of the gate. Um, What would you say to them? You know, I would say if your goal is to just be exceedingly good at what you do, go to work, you know, find, you know, highlight those people that um, have uh, brand directions and businesses that you look up to and um, designers that you look up to and figure out how to work with them and work for them um, and see value in that. It is a long game and being kind to yourself, um, but also being honest with yourself about everything you don't know is really, really, really important. Jobs are great. They're hard. And, you know, in the beginning you make no money, but there's just so much um, benefit to procuring so much information and experience and know-how that's going to really benefit you in the long run. Great advice. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I worked. So you have to swallow work. your pride in order to work, though. So I don't know how many people want to do that, Jill. You do it. My gosh. No shortcuts here. Charles, you are such a joy. Thank you for being here. Jill, thank you. This was lovely. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.